We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome to Overnight America. Wow. I really can't believe that this past week went by so quick. And here I am now today, still trying to wrap my head around where this last week went. So I want to thank everyone that filled in, um, all the great hosts that had that opportunity to do the show over the last several days. Brad Young last night will also be filling in this Thursday because I have another vacation day, just one this time. So we have three days together and we're going to join Rich Rubino in about less than 10 minutes from now. Good old friend, Rich Rubino, a little bit uh, about American politics and maybe looking at the history of what we can expect, things like that. A couple of other things I wanted to get to, but I first wanted to thank everyone that dropped me a message on Facebook. Happy Thanksgiving message. It was so nice to see that all the familiar names and some that are unfamiliar, which is great on Ryan Recker radio on Facebook. And I want to also thank Brad Young for the gravy boat, which I used this year a couple (laughs) weeks ago. (laughs) He gave me a gravy boat because he knows I don't play around when it comes to Thanksgiving gravy. I put gravy on everything because of it, I need my own gravy boat. I need to be able to have quick access to gravy. I don't want to have to, oh, can you pass me the gravy? Oh, can you pass? I don't want to have to wait. I want gravy now. So what happens? Yeah, I know. I keep my own gravy boat. So I was lucky enough to have that thanks to our friend Brad Young right within arm's reach. And also talking about turkeys, cook the turkey this year in the way that you the listener of Overnight America, all recommended. Online, you recommended brining the turkey. On air, you recommended that I brine the turkey. My neighbor recommended that I brine the turkey. Everyone I talked to, I'd turn around and I'd say, hey, nice weather we're having today. And they'd say, hey, did you know that you should brine your turkey? It's amazing how that works out. I'd be at a stop sign and the person next to me would do that motion to roll down your window. You know, you might not be old enough. Some of our younger listeners here probably don't understand. There was a motion that you'd use to roll down the window. It was taking your hand in a circular motion as if you were to manually crank down the window. Now today it's just a little finger. You press and the window goes down. So I was at a stop sign and the people next to me or whatever, they're looking and they say, cause you know, this is all made up. So it doesn't matter. So they they were looking and <laughs> they said, Hey, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but you should brine your Turkey. Yeah, everyone I ran into, people in the grocery line said to brine the turkey, so I decided to brine the turkey. Here's the um, outcome of brining the turkey. Day before, 
I get all of my spices and it's not a lot of stuff. It's like, you know, you get a little bit of garlic, you get some little vegetables or whatever. You get a lot of salt. You put some brown sugar. This is just one of the random different brine recipes I found online. Get all the spices in there. You boil it up so it's all nice and mixed together and you let it cool down. It took a long time to cool. I ended up actually taking the pots outside and putting them on the back patio in order to cool them faster. And then what you do is you pour them in with the turkey and then you pour a bunch of ice in there, too, to keep it nice and cool. And I let the thing marinate, essentially brining it through the overnight. Pull the thing out, put the turkey inside of a big pot and some water for about 15 minutes just to make sure all the brine solution was off of it. So I wasn't cooking it with it. Cook this thing up. And then when it came out of the oven and I had everything ready to go, it's out. Mm, I do the first taste test. And it's a family tradition here that the firstborn son gets the first taste at least that's what the tradition was in my house. My family would always pull me over and said, here you go. I need to take a taste test. And I always loved that. It was such a great honor. So I did that with my son and he said, no, I don't want it. <laughs> so I said, okay, I guess we're moving to the next. <laughs> and I uh, decided to let my wife test it. And it was fantastic. I couldn't believe how good the turkey was. It, it was worth the hype. Everyone said, brine it. It's worth it. It was some effort. Sure, I get it. But all of that effort was completely worth it. I don't think I'll ever cook a Thanksgiving turkey any differently in the future. I think I'm always going to be brining it from here on out. That's how awesome this thing was. So I have some ingredients left over. I, I probably don't have to go buy more ingredients. But the nice thing is, in the future, I'm telling you, I have been converted into a brining turkey fool thanks to you the listeners of Overnight America. So thank you for encouraging me to do that. So many people also messaged me on Facebook. Hey, how did the turkey turn out? How'd the turkey go? Did you, did you brine the turkey? Everyone wanted to know. Isn't that great? I'll talk to Richard Bino. I wonder what he did for Thanksgiving this year. I'm sure he had a lot of politics to speak of at the dinner table. I wonder if, the, if on Thanksgiving Day, is that the one day he refuses to talk politics? If they're sitting down, having a nice meal, does he look across and then someone tries to bring up something political and they say, oh, not today. And he just has to sit on it. Maybe, maybe we'll edit him. <laughs> tell his Thanksgiving traditions coming up in a few minutes. And it's so good to be back with you here. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. This is Overnight America, KMOX. KMOX is St. Louis's news, talk, sports, radio. Welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker, and we are very much looking forward to our next guest someone that i bring on mondays he's the author of american politics on the rocks and politi-geek.com rich rabino how are you i'm doing well ryan how are you great how was your thanksgiving it was well thank you very yeah, low-key i want low-key i wonder sure a lot of people well sure I'm, I'm wondering at that thanksgiving table if that's the one day of the year where you don't talk politics uh, yeah, I would say, I would say talk, talk about it less more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's never completely removed at some point. Uh, you have to bring it up. I'm sure. Well, I don't it know. It kind of permeates everything else in our world. So yeah, it's to me, I have, you know, young ones. I got a six year old. You, you talk the politics of Paw Patrol only so many times. And, you know, <laughs> if the mayor's doing a good job of governing the city there, because, you know, the mayor's best friend's a chicken, after all. So how good can this mayor be? So, um, Rich Rubino, I wanted to um, kind of talk about where we are. Because, you know, I was out on break last week, so we didn't get to uh, talk. We're getting closer to January. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, when we do these end-of-year 
retrospects. We say, okay, let's look at everything that's happened in 2020. And let's look at all the uh, celebrities who have passed. And let's look at all the things that have changed. You know, it's kind of like a a time for everyone to look back. I'm wondering when we look back at the Trump presidency, how we're going to look at it and what may have changed under his terms, at least when it comes to the Republican Party, when it comes to politics in general, things like that. I'm curious when you look back at it, what are some of your impressions? Yeah, well, it's interesting what he did to the Republican Party because they've been there before. What he really did, I guess you could say he's bringing it back to the status quo ante, meaning the status quo prior to the current status quo. Before Dwight Eisenhower came in in 1953, the party was basically, and this is, you know, big going back, for example, to Hoover, Coolidge, Harding, going all the way back to McKinley. The party was basically uh, non-interventionist in terms of foreign policy. On economic policy, they were economic nationalists, meaning that they were essentially incredulous toward free trade. They supported more tariffs. While they supported tax cuts at home, they supported tariffs um, abroad for other countries, for example. Um, So that was all kind of part of it, while also kind of somewhat of a laissez-faire view toward the economy, um, at least during Harding and Coolidge and Hoover. So there was a lot of bringing back the Republican Party to that. But what, what Donald Trump also did is he made kind of a working class tinge to the Republican Party. Um, if you listen to some of the rhetoric, you know, it used to the Republican Party is seen as, was seen as more or less kind of in terms of domestic policy, kind of a libertarian party, if you will. Um, on social policy, they were kind of divided in terms of the Cold War anyway. One, the one thing that kept all the kind of factions, all the bloodlines of the Republican Party together was the opposition to the former Soviet Union. And that what happened after the Cold War is essentially there's a break in the Republican Party. Some people, like Bill Kristol of the National Re- of the uh, Weekly Standard, for example, some of the intellectuals in the party said that the, said that the, Demo- the, Repu- the Republican Party now must um, embrace kind of an American hegemony, a kind of a manifest destiny, if you will, that the America is now the, the sole superpower and they must kind of embrace the idea of there being democracy abroad. George W. Bush in his 2005 inaugural address said that America needs to end tyranny in our world. Well, Trump changed all that. He talked an America first policy, which is interesting because Warren G. Harding also talked about America first and actually used that exact phrase, meaning essentially that America will know that its role is not to promote democracy abroad, but in a sense to take care of themselves. And that it's kind of, and that there to the effect that there's anything that will benefit the rest of the world that has to be transactional it has to also benefit the United States, but an economic policy you know Trump is not really kind of the laissez-faire libertarian he's not he doesn't you know listen to Hayek and he doesn't necessarily go by you know what's kind of classical economics um, and this is kind of this is where he really changed the dynamic too in the Republican Party in that there's more of a working class appeal for example when he was running in 2016. It was really only him, Mike Huckabee, and Rick Santorum who kind of emphasized this blue-collar conservatism by, for example, saying that they would not cut entitlements, they would not cut Social Security, they would not cut Medicare. Um, that's really, you know, he, that, it's, it's really kind of, for example, when he talks about free trade, for example, and this is where it all come, kind of amalgamates and comes back together, he talks about how it, affects, how it affects the manufacturing sector, how it directly affects workers. This is now something the Republican Party has essentially embraced. Newt Gingrich, who was one of the architects of getting NAFTA through the United States Congress, getting GATT through the United States Congress, now says, I agree with Donald Trump essentially on trade. A lot of the Republicans now agree with Donald Trump on the issue of trade. And here's another thing that's interesting. The one last thing 
It used to be during the it used to be that the Democrats were the party that always kind of talked about the military industrial complex and how the Republican Party was um, too was too likely to get involved in in, in military entanglements, foreign entanglements under George W. Bush, for example. It is now Donald Trump who talks about the military industrial complex and the undue influence that it has which is something where kind of right meets left. You know, how do you do where Ralph Nader's um, bicycle hits into Pat Buchanan's Mercedes? Because now you have this time <laughs> where the Republicans are saying that you need to, in sense, truncate some of the military engagements overseas. Now you have folks like Josh Hawley, even, for example, in Missouri, tweeting that some of Biden's, um, some of the people Biden is choosing for his foreign, poli- and foreign, foreign policy establishment are part of the military-industrial complex, for example. So it's or you know are people who are you know are, are in a sense too close to militarists, for example. So that's kind of where Donald Trump has kind of changed the trajectory of the Republican Party, I think. Yeah, that is interesting. You mentioned Santorum, so the sweater vest was very much part of his <laughs> brand for the longest time there, and I thought, oh, that's a nice way to differentiate yourself. It's it's interesting because I haven't thought about him much. I know he does some commentary work on CNN now and again, he does. but you don't see the sweater vest all that anymore. So um, <laughs> going back to um, Donald Trump, you're right about the the military intervention. It's interesting because when you talk about the the, the use of the military, definitely the funding's there. So he increased funding when it came to military, but for the most part, it was to try to to bring the equipment up to standard and yep. code and try to like, you know, get new planes. And, you know, it really it was more or less trying to update the stockpile. We said a lot of these different pieces of equipment may have been outdated or underfunded in the past that we're going to finish that. But it was mostly thought of as a, okay, we're going to do this until the, we get to the point where we want to. And then from what my thought was that his next big spending thing was going to be infrastructure because that's something they tried for a long time. Well, COVID changed all of that because, you know, all of a yep. sudden we're spending trillions and trillions of dollars. One person brought this up, and I thought this was interesting, looking back at the legacy of Donald Trump. And and they said this before the election. They said COVID is Donald Trump's Vietnam. So it might not be something that he necessarily started because he didn't. But it's it's definitely something that's going to be pinned with his administration. And it's something that eventually may be looked at as his downfall. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And it's interesting you brought the Vietnam analogy, because in the case of Vietnam, you know, Lyndon Johnson, when he came in, he wanted to be a domestic president. Vietnam was not really the first thing on his radar. And there actually, there's actually a tape of him talking to Richard Russell, the senator from Georgia, basically saying that, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know, you know, essentially, if we get out of this, if we get out of this, this is going to happen. If we stay in, this is going to happen. He said, basically, this is a mess, and I don't know what we're going to do about it. But he basically said that he didn't think the war should be fought, if you listen to that tape. But it really enveloped his entire presidency, and after 66, 67, 68, all of his domestic programs went by the wayside, and his number one priority, his flagship issue, became Vietnam. It's interesting, the same with Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump, the narrative I think a lot of the Trump people believe is that he was going to win re-election, and then COVID came, and they think that he essentially mishandled it like Johnson had mishandled Vietnam, and enveloped his presidency um, for basically the entire year for the election year, and there was actually some meetings, I know, in the Oval Office where some of Trump's aides said, said they was talking about how he wouldn't win re-election. Some of them said, you know, essentially what, the one thing that could really undermine this is the idea of COVID. And they turned out to be right because, um, you know, although Donald Trump, he's never actually gone to 50 percent. He's never um, been particularly personally popular. There were a lot of people who I think objected to some of his policies, but supported him because of the economy. Then when the economy, you know, when the, when the economy had its downfall, went to a downer spiral, 
And then certainly when, when the, certainly when COVID, when COVID occurred and they thought that he had mishandled it and they saw the deaths and they thought the fact that he had not um, you know, issued a mass mandate, that type of a thing, it gave a, gave a lot of swing voters, specifically those who were kind of skeptical of him personally, a reason to either go with Joe Biden or to be kind of less galvanized for Donald Trump. Hmm. Well, we got a couple of weeks left. It's starting to get cold. I don't know about you, but it snowed for the first time here in St. Louis oh, wow. for the year. Um, did you get any uh, snow your way? No, not at all. We had one uh, prior to Halloween, but that was the closest, believe it or oh, not. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Well, I was going to say, things are starting to change again. So we uh, you know, we have all kinds of different regulations still in place, and people are trying to consider even more regulations in the area because of COVID. We're getting close to the next holiday, which is Christmas, the end of the year. We know that at that point, things are not looking good for Donald Trump with his legal challenges. So he most likely, in all things considered, 99. Nine percent chance that he'll uh, not be reelected as president. None of these um, challenges seem to be uh, materializing the way that he hoped. And that's just reality. So once we get to January 20th, I'm kind of curious what you think Joe Biden's top priorities will be, because we're starting to yep. see some of the different names floated around people that he wants to bring in. Ugh, I almost uh, I, I, I almost uh cried a little when I saw Rahm Emanuel's name brought up uh, for a moment there. And I thought, no, they're not going to bring him in. So I thought this is going to be, you know, oh, that's let's bring in something. Yeah. I don't know if you he, saw that report. Yeah, he's but. interesting. They were talking transportation secretary, but there is going to be a lot of angst on the left wing of the Democratic Party if Rahm Emanuel be, joins this administration. They're very angry by the way that he handled um, that he they handled that he handled some of the, the police shooting, for example, when he was mayor of Chicago. Um, I know Joe Biden personally likes him. Joe Biden, you know, certainly served with him. Barack Obama personally likes him. Barack Obama, you know, took him out of the United States Congress, made him his chief of staff, that he became mayor of Chicago. Um, but there's certainly a lot in the African-American and Latino community who are very incredulous toward Rahm Emanuel. If he does, it would have to be some sort of probably a less controversial uh, position. And I think Transportation Secretary would certainly be one of those. But he certainly could not get a position like, for example, uh, Secretary of Hyde, you're going to really see a lot of protests in front of the White House. He's really become, you know, um, he's really become a lightning rod in the liberal movement of the Democratic Party. Yeah. Was he the one that coined that term, never let a controversy go to waste? Yes, he said. Uh, yes, he said that um, essentially, I believe it was during the health care ba- debate um, involving. He said, never let a, con- a crisis um, and never let oh, a crisis um Never let a crisis go to waste, essentially, when he right. was the chief of staff to uh, Barack Obama. Yeah, that what a line. Now, that's been said a million and a half times since then. I, You know, I wonder, that when you talk about Donald Trump and you look at this, and we, I do want to focus some on Joe Biden. Maybe we'll do that after the break. But I'm kind of curious uh, what you think the future looks like for conservatives, because some names have already started to separate from Donald Trump, um, you know, and, and part of the problem I think that we run into is that we get the flashy headlines and quotes are taken out of context to make the controversy seem a lot worse mm-hmm. than it is. But mm-hmm. let's just say moving forward, some people that were loyal to Donald Trump uh, in the future start to, you know, do an about face. And who knows, maybe they're worried that in their district uh, that it would be bad for them to talk about Donald Trump that way. So they, you know, decide to throw him under the bus or whatever it is. Um, So let's just say in the future, the conservative party or let's say the Republican party is still pretty fractured in a way where they don't really know where to put sides anymore. Uh, What do you think that means for the party in general? And where do you think the future will lie when it comes to uh, some of the different stances they'll hold on issues? 
Yeah, I think that right now, I think that most Republicans, with some with some with some exceptions, um, Susan Collins from Maine, for example, being one of them. Obviously, she has a very moderate constituency up in Maine, so it's in her self interest. But most politicians are very afraid of leaving Donald Trump. They're, I mean, obviously, from a, for personal reasons, they're afraid because he'll excoriate them on Twitter like he's doing to Brian Kemp, a former ally, the governor of Georgia. Now he's saying that he was skeptical, that he should never have supported him, um, which, you know, we have supported his opponent, the Democrat Stacey Abrams, against him. But um, because of the way that he said that the election was certified in Georgia and the fact that he says that there was no fraud, for example, but... They're really afraid of his brand also because Donald Trump, you know, he's really taken over the Democrat, the Republican Party. He's taken the brand of the Republican Party. It is now seen essentially, you know, American body politic is now the first thing you think of when you think of American politics is you think of are you pro-Trump or are you anti-Trump? And they think of the fact that he's got job approval ratings of, you know, over 85 percent within the Republican Party. So they're very afraid of what potentially could happen. Now, that being said, I think there are a lot of potential 2024 prospects, and they're all kind of waiting. Would they actually run if Donald Trump were to run again? Um, would, they actually, would, they, I mean, would they actually kind of defy him? Would they cross him? He's extremely popular in the Republican Party. He'd be an overwhelming favorite to garner the nomination. Um, unless you're somebody who represents a completely different brand of Republican and you're anti-Trump, this time around, for example, you had Bill Weld, who was um, a completely different brand, of, more of a libertarian running in the Republican primary. Then you had Joe Walsh the congressman from uh, Illinois, and Mark Stanford, the former governor of South Carolina. I mean, they all tried to run against Trump. They got nowhere. Trump kind of ignored them. But if there's actually a formidable person that were to actually run against Donald Trump, it could actually be political suicide for their political careers. And I think of someone like Tom Cotton, I think of Josh Hawley, I think of all these kind of young upstarts in the Republican Party who I think are preparing themselves to run in 2024. I don't think they will do it. The only precedent I can see for this, by the way, Grover Cleveland. So Grover Cleveland runs in 1884, wins, loses in 1888, a very close election. Then in 1892, he comes back, and he garners the nomination, but there is some opposition, and that was by David Hill, the former gov- the governor of New York. The guy who succeeded him as governor of New York, as former lieutenant governor, and there really was an internecine battle that year, and Grover Cleveland ended up winning, and then he actually win- won the, won the uh, presidency. But that year, the party really was divided between, you know, kind of liberals and conservatives. Now it's really the Trump party, so it would be very hard for a formidable Republican, you know, to have a political career if they actually defied and actually challenged Donald Trump. Mm, interesting. Okay, so I wanted to ask you about Joe Biden. Can we do that after the break? Sure. So I think what is going to happen next, we roll into January. What do you think Joe Biden may be doing in some of his top priorities in office? Do you think he'll reverse course? What things may he reverse course on? Uh, you know, and then it's just in general, uh, what you think maybe some of these other cabinet positions he'll be looking at. We'll do that with Rich Rubino right after the break. American Politics on the Rocks is his book, Polita-Geek.com. You can find him online. This is Overnight America, KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. 
You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. And welcome back to Overnight America. Richard Bino joins us on Mondays. It's American Politics on the Rocks, his book, politic-geek.com, and also someone that talks politics on Thanksgiving, Richard Bino. Thank you again for uh, sticking around. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Joe Biden. So we're just a couple of months away, really, from Joe Biden taking the Oval Office. And I'm wondering what some of the differences you'll see immediately between him and Donald Trump's administration, maybe some of those policies that he could reverse very quickly, and just in general, what you think will happen come the end of January. Well, of course, the first thing is going to be temperament. Um, in this in this respect, you're going to really go back. I talk about how we're, the current status quo. You go back to the status quo ante, meaning before Donald Trump, you're going to go back to essentially um, a time where you know presidents didn't spend all spend a lot of time you know tweeting or really kind of using social media to re- kind of praise their you know Machiavellian in many respects praise their um, allies and really kind of excoriate their opponents. I think that Joe Biden is going to try to. Um, be perceived more or less as kind of a statesman. There's going to be a lot of bipartisan language he's going to use, I'm sure. Um, but also the first priority for him is prior to that, is prior to January 20th, and that's the Georgia Senate races. Um, very vital um, because if he can get if essentially what it is, so there are two runoffs under Georgia's law. If nobody garners 50% of the vote in the first election, you have a second election so that someone will have an outright majority. In this case, there are two elections in Georgia, in part because uh, Senator Johnny Isaacson had to resign because of health reasons. So there was a seat up, and then there's also so there was a there was a, a seat up um, for unexpired term, and so that 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 race is essentially up. That race is coming up with Kelly Loeffler, um, who succeeded him in the United States Senate. She's now running for another two years, then she'll have to run for a full term. And then there's also just an open seat in Georgia. I'm sorry, uh, David Perdue. Um, you, David Perdue, the two United, the, the other United States senator, was actually elected in his own right back in 2014, is running for his own seat. And if the if the Democrats can siphon off both seats, then they don't necessarily have to worry about Mitch McConnell because Mitch McConnell will be the minority leader, not the majority leader. And then if the Democrats can bring all fifth, can bring every single United States senator to abolish the filibuster, the Senate will react essentially like the House. You know, essentially, you'd only need 50 votes rather than 60 votes to get major legislation through. So that's going to be his cardinal priorities, getting those two Georgia Senate seats, uh, one for the Democrats. But whatever happens, obviously, his first priority is going to be a relief package for the coronavirus. It's something he didn't certainly anticipate when he began his campaign. Um, he was talking about, for example, some of his other priorities. One of them was the Equality Act um, for the gay and lesbian community, which gives them protections, labor protections, for example. He told the meeting back in April in Columbus, Ohio, the human rights campaign, that that would be one of his number one priorities. He's also said he's going to have an immigration reform bill out in the first 100 days. 
So he's really going to have, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a catch-all. You push a bunch of legislation, but you really, it really, for Joe Biden, and this is the case for any president, he or she has to choose what piece of legislation they really want to kind of stake their presidency on. For Barack Obama, it was health care. That was a piece of legislation that he really put all of his effort into and really had a Herculean effort to finally get it passed. Eventually, they had to, you know, essentially make a deal with Ben Nelson of Nebraska, Mary Landrieu of Louisiana, two moderate to conservative Democrats to get their votes. So it's really going to be a question of what will he kind of put his priorities on obviously coronavirus, but also immigration reform. And then also in terms of international policy, it's kind of going to be relinquishing the America first credo and going back to international alliances. He'll bring the United States back into the World Health Organization, rejoin the uh, nuclear deal with the, Ira- with the, with the Iranians, for example, um, and certainly the Paris Climate Accords. So re- he'll rejoin them. So it's really going to be kind of going back to the way kind of Barack Obama was versus, you know, Donald Trump in terms of being an internationalist. And those will probably be, you know, kind of his first priorities. But it's very hard to get some of this legislation through if Mitch McConnell is still there to kind of um, thwart some of his legislation. And here's another thing that's interesting. There's going to be, you know, in terms of taking members out of the House, what you can, what he can do is he can take some members of the House of Representatives to serve his administration. But the, the House is so close right now. That if he the more members, the Democratic members he takes out of the out of the House of Representatives, brings to the administration, the less Democrats he's going to have that are going to support his legislation in the House. Now, some like Cedric Richmond, who's going to be joining the administration on the White House staff, represents a very a predominantly Democratic district, and there's really no reasonable chance for a Republican to win. But his one vote. But for, until there's a special election, will not be there. So that's kind of the catch-22 in terms of some of the people I think he wants to take out of the take out of the United States House of Representatives that he really can't. So they always bring this idea of that. Oh, day one executive order. So oh, what yeah, do you yeah. think he would be signing day one? What What do you think his the what What do you think he would have the power to do? Because a lot of what you brought up there would be more or less you know policy. Let's try to get these things done immediately. But what What are the things that you think he would actually have the power to do immediately? Yeah, there. Well, certainly rejoin some of these. Rejoin the Paris peace. The Paris Treaty would be one thing. Um, it would be very similar, for example, when – and actually, and, they wonder, and it really was not an issue. It was a sleeper issue, but the Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, something the Obama administration had really worked to negotiate for Obama's second-term legacy, had opposition almost universal with the exception of like 20 Democrats in the House um, for, to the House for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And then Donald Trump, as soon as he gets in there, you know, he essentially takes the United States out of that. So that's some of the things that I think he can um, – he can do certainly on his first day. Also, in certain, I think certainly um, anything involving ethics and administration, he'll probably sign some sort of an some sort of an executive order requiring that everybody in his in the administration, um, you know, abides by a certain abides by certain ethics. And he'll probably, you know, any sort of special interest groups he made kind of minor promises to, um, he'll probably work for that as well. And also, he'll probably do something involving, which has always happens, uh, the Mexico City policy. Involving, uh, involving, involving abortion, which essentially says that the United States, um, the United States will have to block federal funding to non-government organizations that provide abortion counseling. Usually, a Democratic president who's pro-choice comes in, and the first thing they do is they return the Mexico policy. Then a Republican policy president comes in and does the exact opposite. So that's something he certainly will do the first day of his administration. Uh, a lot of things there. All right. So that is Joe Biden getting closer to taking office. Uh, you know, I wonder exactly 
what happens next? I mean, I, I think about all the, the things that are going on with COVID. And I was looking at a report from CBS earlier that mentioned some of the things that may not be extended if they don't come to a conclusion or an agreement before the end of the year on what to do when it comes to another COVID stimulus package. One of those things is that at the end of the year, some of the federal protections when it came to things like evictions were set to expire. There's going to be an overlap of, you know, a couple of weeks. So what would Joe Biden do differently, you think, when it comes to fighting COVID, if there's anything he could do at that point? Well, I think one thing he's going to certainly try to do, and I guess you're right, he could certainly extend the uh, eviction moratorium. Um, which certainly I know a lot of landlords are um, very uh, <laughs> are very uh, angry about, about right, yeah. right now, but certainly obviously tenants would have the different point of view on that. Um, I think that certainly there'll be a mass mandate. Um, you know, this question of whether the federal government can actually do that. He's saying that if the governors won't do it. He'll go directly to kind of municipal executives. I think that also Biden might do a lot of what kind of what Bill Clinton did, at least after the Republicans took over the House and the Senate, his second two year, the second two years of his first term. Um, Bill Clinton began executive orders, and some of those executive orders were very minor, and they would obviously, they would sometimes apply certainly to, only to federal employees. He will say that, you know, federal employees will now have to, will now have to meet this standard, or will now have to, um, you know, will now have to take, you know, fe- we'll now have to use, you know, cars that have this, you know, that type of a thing. So I think he's going to do a lot of, he can do a lot of minor things specifically involving federal employees, and then kind of try to emphasize it and try to use that as kind of a microcosm at the national level, I think certainly the fact that he will not be holding the rallies that Donald Trump held. I can't imagine him, you know, in the first uh, months of a month in office doing these outdoor rallies, for example. And certainly when he runs for, um, you know, certainly prior to um, there being a vaccine, I can't imagine him, you know, going out there and doing some and doing some of the, and doing just speeches in general where um, people do not have masks. So I think that's something that's going to be more or less leading by almost by an example. That would be kind of the archetype. But it's not necessarily something that's substantive policy. Obviously, substantive policy takes time. And, you know, with the exception, with a few exceptions, they're really Franklin Roosevelt when he came in in 33 and Lyndon Johnson in 64, were really the only times where the Democratic president had overwhelming majorities in both the House and the Senate and were able to get the New Deal done with Franklin Roosevelt, the Great Society, with Lyndon Johnson, and had very little Republican opposition because their majorities were so overwhelming. You know, Joe Biden does not have that. And he obviously needs near ecumenical, near universal support in the Democratic Party um, for his legislation. It's going to be very hard with folks like, you know, as conservative as Joe Manchin um, from from West Virginia and then as liberal as Bernie Sanders of Vermont, for example. So he really has to hold the Democratic caucus together and he really can't lose any votes. And in some cases, he's going to have to siphon off some Republicans. Susan Collins, you know, um, Susan Collins is probably the most powerful person in Washington right now because she's the most uh, moderate liberal Republican there is. And she's probably the one person that Joe Biden could actually siphon off and would actually be in her own political interest in the state of Maine for him, for her to show independence. But potentially he can take Mitt Romney on some, on some positions. He could siphon him off for some things. And other Republicans that are simply up for a reelection that want to show that they have some sort of independence, that they have that they're independent minded. But he really has to be kind of a tactician and he really has to sometimes maybe potentially give favors. There really has to be a lot of kind of Lyndon Johnson in Joe Biden as somebody who knows where the bodies are buried and knows what it takes to get a United States senator to vote with them on this legislation. But obviously, you know, your alliances today can be your adversaries tomorrow. So he really has to work with somebody on specific pieces of legislation, even though they may be fighting him tooth and nail on the next piece of legislation to come up the next day. 
kind of a crazy question, and I would be impressed if you knew the answer to this, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Has a uh, candidate ever broken a bone before going into office? Like, you know, Joe Biden just recently uh, broke a a bone playing with his dog. At least that's what they said. So let's say um, in the past, can you think of any exception of where a president was injured before taking office? Was injured before taking office? Uh, I don't think so. I think the closest would have been in 97 when, if you remember, Bill Clinton hurt his leg, and um, he had to he had to essentially he, he he had to kind of be in a cast, and he was kind of in a wheelchair for a while. Um, I know that Al Gore, when he was vice president, he was he was a former senator, so he went back in '93 and he was playing um, a pickup game of basketball, landed up on crutches. But I can't think of an example when it actually happened to a president elect. Yeah, um, no, that's that, a trivia I think question. That Clinton and Gore would probably be the closest. Uh, my guess would be, I mean, just going back in history here, my guess would be the answer would be no to that. It probably would have been a major story unless it was a very minor uh, injury. See, just uh, dropping that on you. I had no idea if there was an, a right answer to that. And, you know, there could be, but it's um, I'm always curious about it. I wonder if that's ever happened before. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your website, your book. If people want to look you up online, where can they find you? Yep, and I'm working on another political trivia book, which hopefully should be out in a few months. Um, right now you can find me on www.polita-geek.com or find me on Facebook. You can see some of my interviews there, Rich, last name Rubino. R-U-B-I-N-O, or Twitter at Rich Rubino, P-O-L. There it is. Just like that. Rich Rubino, it's so good to catch up with you on this Monday. Thank you for coming on to Overnight America. Indeed. Politics is a perpetual cycle, and there certainly will be uh, there will certainly be no let up for the uh, faithful for the next four years, at least. <laughs> oh, man, I know. Uh, that's uh, Rich Rubino, American Politics on the Rocks. Look up his book. Look him up to online at politageek.com. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line every Monday here on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. Oh, wow. Were you like me earlier today, just like everyone else? It's nice. It's in the morning. It's peaceful. Things are set and then all of a sudden you look out the window and you see some snow <laughs> and if we're i'm not the only person that said hey everybody look outside <laughs> hey hey everyone hey look outside yeah i know that you probably did the same thing too hey kids hurry up come take a look at this and it didn't last long and it was sticky just a little as in you know i look out the back patio and there were a couple of those big thick snowflakes that were stuck on the pavement it didn't just instantly melt so i thought oh man this is gonna be bad i took my dog out for a walk today and i was definitely underdressed i didn't realize how cold it got and it just made me realize man i've gotten soft now i grew up in michigan and the further north you went it's just it got worse and worse and worse and worse and then i lived in wisconsin for a while and it was miserable the one winter i spent in wisconsin was terrible terrible miserable so i have nothing to complain about but it just shows you how soft I've gotten when we go from temperatures in the 50s and things feel great to temperatures in the 30s and then even through the overnight in the 20s here. Then all of a sudden you think that you're in the Arctic Circle. So, yes, I don't know if we're going to have a lot of those days ahead of us, but I know we'll have more days where we look out the window. One quick political thing, and I do want to talk about 
crisis mode. You can see that at KMOX.com. St. Louis area in crisis mode as virus surges, says County Executive. We'll talk about the press conference from earlier today. KMOX getting the first question in the press conference. And yeah, Dr. Sam Page at least admitted to listening to KMOX. So who knows? Maybe he's listening right now. But we're going to talk about the virus and the reaction to it in the next hour. There's been a lot to it. One other quick political thing I wanted to bring up. Do you remember those Russian pranksters that have called and captured some pretty prominent politicians? Uh, Maxine Waters, I think, was one of them. Um, that was who else was in there? Bernie Sanders got caught by these guys. Apparently, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was caught getting uh, had by these Russian pranksters. Let me play you a couple of these clips here because I thought, oh man, no one, no one is safe. No one is safe to them. Stability in the region and better outcomes uh, for, for citizens. You are adults, but you act like children's. Yes, uh, you are trying to teach us, but you have not yet Slit. I should probably um, re reference this real quick because I forgot to say, just like all the other past pranks that they've done, they pretend to be Greta Thornburg, the, um, you know, the climate activist. How dare, how dare you? Is that how, what did she say? Whatever her big catchphrase was. How dare you? And she, they, you know, these two Russian radio hosts or something, they prank call these world leaders as Greta Thornburg. And how easy is it to get on the line? with a world leader pretending to be Greta Thornburg. I don't know how they do it. The simple things. So I ask you very much before it's not too late. Don't play war. Oh, we can make the world a better place if we love each other. We can uh, create a world where there is a place for everyone, for whites and black, Christians and Muslims, for Trump and Putin, for you and me. For Barry Johnson, for Corbyn, for Terrence and Philip, so who are also okay? I don't know if you got that. For Terrence and Philip, <laughs> so they go on, and you know they're they're talking about you need to pull out of NATO. We don't need troops in NATO, and no one needs NATO. And you know they start doing all of this other stuff. And Justin Trudeau's like, oh, what? It's an interesting thought. So then they go on a little bit further with uh, Prince Henry. And they start talking about Meghan Markle because apparently this was recorded, I think, back in January. So it's some months old. Maybe that's how they get away with it. So they don't, um, you know, release these so quickly and then everyone gets word of it. But listen to this. But uh, I sometimes think that his wife manipulates him. Well, I think I think uh, uh, in every relationship there are uh, there are complicated. Uh, All right, so I think. His wife manipulates him being Prince Henry. By the way, um, Mr. Prime Minister, uh, can you introduce me to Terence and Philip? <laughs> I know that they are big stars in Canada, but it's very strange. Uh, I couldn't find them in the social networks. Maybe you can help. I know that uh, there are I, like, I, would, I don't I know, national if, leaders. If, uh, I'll ask my, uh, I'll ask yeah, my I, team I to try and figure out how. Oh, this is so stupid. So Terence and Philip are a cartoon characters from South Park. So on South Park, the kids watch this Canadian comedic duo, Terrence and Philip, and what they're known for is like, hey, pull my finger jokes. They're known for pull my finger. So she says, can you put me in touch with Terrence and Philip and Justin Trudeau? Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is so weird. All right, another hour of Overnight America coming up next on KMOX. KMOX.
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app 